0: Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, Better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts, offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2 SB Digest, or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. I'm particularly happy tonight because we're going to talk about a topic that um, uh, a lot of my uh, emails come up about it's uh and we have with us Dr. Mike, Michael Woody. He's here to discuss about stress on um uh, uh stress in small business. Uh he came to us because he was part of a study with Staples, which we'll get into, but uh, first uh, it's Dr. Michael Woody, wood and I but I'm going to call you Mike if I can. Um and call me Don. Uh, but uh, we always ask a little bit about the personal background of uh, our guests, so tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Hi, Don, and uh, it's great to be here. I'm actually calling in from uh, Atlanta tonight, and I'm typically out on the road, so uh, it's it's good to take a nice little break and chat with you. Um, as you mentioned, uh, my real name is Mike Woodward, but I go by Dr. Woody uh, in the media, and I've gone by Woody since I was... 14 and I'm 41 now, so the whole Woody thing is kind of stuck. Um, so feel free to call me Woody. Um, I'm an organizational psychologist by training, and most of my work is in management and executive development. Um, I started out my career at PricewaterhouseCoopers in our human resource consulting practice, and went on my own in 05 and have worked with managers, business owners, executives all across the board from small businesses to entrepreneurial ventures, to mid-sized companies. So um, I kind of spend a lot of time working in a lot of areas, and my focus is really on understanding and helping develop ho- how we manage others better and really the psychology behind that. So that's uh, generally my focus.
0: Well, it's a, uh, certainly one of the key elements of small business. Uh, but but you're here... Um, We we want to talk a little bit tonight about stress. Uh, Yep. Most uh, executives have stress. Most of us have stress in one form or another. But um, first of all, how do you define stress? Everybody talks about it, but how do you really define stress?
1: Well, you know, stress often comes from a perceived lack of control uh, where you feel like you just can't control things where you feel like you're not able to do the things you want to do and stress can come from a lot of places but a lot of times it's how we view the world or how we see things and a lot of stress we can create for ourselves Um, and so to understand part of that you know my background is in organizational psychology uh, I had a great opportunity to partner with Staples uh, their ink and toner group to survey over 300 small business owners uh, on work styles on stress, and on their buying behavior, and on what this really means. Because, you know, small business owners really face a lot of different types of things than uh, corporate executives and entrepreneurs. I mean, it's a very different animal, right? And we know that small business is the driver of our economy, and small business employs uh, at least half, if not more, of all people in this country. Um, So we want to understand what is going on with small business owners, because it's important to us, and I think to Staples, to get behind what they're doing and how we can help them. And so, you know, getting back to that stress, it's 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 all how we view what's happening around us and how we internalize it, how we interpret it, and then what we do with it. So one of the challenges that we saw in the survey, and this will be no surprise to any of your listeners out there who are small business owners, is that most small business owners are really hands-on doers. And they would classify their persona as that of a go-getter, right? And I'm sure, Don, you see this all the time. It's that hands-on, they do it themselves, go get it, that very American work-hard, do-it-yourself mentality. But the challenge is when you immerse yourself in doing it all, sometimes you put yourself at risk of potentially losing it all.
0: Well, let's explore that um uh, a, a little further, uh, um, uh, you, uh, I go back, I'm old enough to remember the old in commercial where the woman says, please, mother, I'd rather do it myself. And I see it right. s- so much uh, in small business. Um, how does one go about, uh, for one thing, uh, uh, another guest on our program pointed out to me, most people who have this uh, this tendency never recognize it in themselves. Yeah,
1: so self-awareness is a big challenge, without a doubt. Uh, Oftentimes we don't take a moment to pull off to the side of the road, get out of the car, kick the tires, check the mirror, look under the hood, and see what are we really doing what what are, what are, are the, all the tasks and things that we're doing actually getting us somewhere are they leading to the outcomes we want sometimes we lose sight of it because a lot of small business owners I've, I'm going to go back to that personality and mentality of hands on and go getting and doing it themselves it's natural right and it feels like work sometimes stepping back and being a little more strategic a little more um, high level spending the thinking time doesn't Feel like work, and the challenge is, is that's critical if you want to either scale your business or at least improve your business. Um, if you're so mired in the weeds, you're you're going to lose sight of that. And what happens is, is being in that doing mode when things start to go awry or you start to lose sight of the business, it causes some stress. And you know when when you're trying to do everything, you can stretch yourself too thin. You're going to risk burnout you're going to risk alienating your family because let's face it, for so many small business owners, you're fighting constantly to try and balance or at least blend your work into life. And it, it really is a blend. There is no such thing as balance anymore or certainly in the small business arena. Um, and ultimately, your business will be hurt by this. You know, One of the things that we found in the survey is that uh, nearly 40% of small business owners were really stressed about making time for their family let's face it, your business is your life, and it can take you over if you don't pay attention to it and if you get too caught up in details and Of those we looked at, what are the groups we looked at there were those who employed twenty to forty nine which is sort of that you know inflection point where you're growing over sixty percent of those business owners were highly stressed, and a lot of that's because they're scaling they've got more people, but they don't you know they're still trying to do too much themselves so these are real issues, real things that we're we're dealing with, and I think that it's important for us to talk about how we can help business owners understand this and, and get around it.
0: Well, uh, I want to get back to that, but I saw a statistic. In fact, I I just blogged it that uh, in a survey, uh, women uh, uh, business leaders uh, seem to be uh, feel. That they have a work life um, a re- re- regime that works more so than men. I think it was like uh, 55 to 45. 55% mm-hmm. of the women s- said that they had, while 45% of the men said they had. Um, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Sure. I think if, in a lot of cases, women may feel more obligated to their children and their families than men do. It's a it's a cultural thing that we've been trying to combat for a long time. Um, whereas men, it, it's a cultural norm. It's more okay to be a little more disconnected from your family and to be a little more immersed in the business. Um, but more and more, I can tell you, you know, I, I work with women entrepreneurs all the time. And it's, you know, it, it's an uphill battle because they take on more burden, I think, a lot of times in trying so hard to either balance or blend it where both sides kind of get hurt. Um, but, you know, and what I come back to, I think what's important and what I started to get to was what are male or female? As a small business owner, one of the toughest things to do is how do you combat that feeling or drive to always be doing it yourself, to always be working, you know, in the tactical, in the detail, how do you pull back and start to delegate? And, you know, one of the worry areas, and I'll make it very simple for you, so just a concrete example to consider. And one of the reasons that the the staples in contoner folks were so interested in this is that all businesses, right, and small business owners are responsible for their staple supplies, the things that keep them going. And we found that over two-thirds of the small business owners that we surveyed said that printing in some way, shape, or form is critical to their business. So it's important, but it's also something that stresses them out. Um, Yet only 9% of those we surveyed actually keep ink and toner or printing supplies on hand. And just a little over 40% have had to scramble at the last minute, and I'll admit it, I've been one of those guys to get – ink and toner supplies because they have a report they have to print out or they have receipts they have to print out or they have shipping stuff they have to print out or a presentation they have to print out. And yet, you know, so here's the thing. Are they doing it to themselves, A, right? So if you know it's critical, yet you don't have supply on hand, you're doing it to yourself. And that's. And I'm just giving ink and toner as one example, but there are so many other examples when it comes to managing the supply cabinet. Um And part of, I think, what we're trying to point out is, look, sometimes we can create our own stress is how I kind of started this off. And sometimes it's how you view things. And there are ways to get around it. So when it comes to just something as simple as your ink and toner supplies, why not delegate it? Because that's one of the biggest challenges that small business owners have, especially if they have a small staff, especially if it's a family business. They have that guilt about delegating or they don't want to lose control by giving something up because they feel that will stress them more. Um, That's a huge challenge that they have to deal with. I think also... Oh, go ahead.
0: No, you first. Go ahead. You're the guest.
1: Uh, Also, you know, there are ways to automate the process. Uh, Any kind of ordering, you can have automatic replenishment. Staples offers that online, but, you know, lots of different vendors will do that for any of the type of things that you're using. So it's important to keep that in mind. You can have your ink and toner replenished automatically and not have to do anything about it online. So why not take that task away from you? You know, one of the things we found from a personality perspective is those who tend to like to go to the store tend to be more extroverted, right? They like that social interaction. They like that connection to the people. But at what cost? It's too time consuming to do that. So it's another thing that I think a lot of small business owners who tend to be more extroverted or tend to be more go-getter and doer have to learn how to let go and manage that to give themselves more time back so they have more time to work on the business. Um, and then it just comes down to planning. You know, I, We don't spend enough time planning. We're always trying to catch up and catch up and go out and do. And for too many that I've talked to, they feel like that planning, that strategy, thinking time isn't work. And in fact, it is. It's called leading. So... Those are a couple of things I think that a lot of small business owners can really benefit from thinking about.
0: Well, I only have to tell you that that happened to us today. We had to send out two uh, uh, presentations, uh, uh, physical presentations, and we found we, we didn't have the, the proper envelopes. Uh, and we had used <laughs> the last one. It just happened to us today. We're a small company. Yeah, and,
1: and- and, yeah, and you find yourself scrambling at the last minute. And how much time and how much stress does that cause you? Because you're thinking, oh, my God, i got to get it. Am I going to be able to find it? Where do I got to go to get it? i got to jump in the car and run to Staples at the last minute. Where you could have done it online. You could have it automatically set so it knows how often you need it. And it just you gets shipped to you. I mean, that's one of those things where welcome to the modern world. Take advantage of technology. Take advantage of the fact that we do so much buying and shipping online, take advantage of that uh, and and let you know the online process plan for you. Let the Staples icon plan for you. I, I mean, it's just one of those things you can take away. Uh, and I'm always a, a big, I don't care whether you're a corporate executive or you're a solopreneur working for yourself, find ways to automate things that you do physically yourself now because it just you, time is something you cannot get back. So find ways to give yourself time.
0: Well, let's uh, let's get away from the Staples commercial for a minute and uh, go a little <laughs> deeper, if I if I may, and uh, talk. Uh, uh, do you think that uh, today's economic environment has put a, a additional stress on small business leaders?
1: Of course. Uh, I mean, why would it not? You know, you have uh, increasing globalization through technology, particularly through mobile digital technology, more and more opportunities uh, to outsource are coming up. So in some ways, that's a very positive thing for American small business because if you're entrepreneurial about it, you can outsource a lot of what you do. But on the flip side, a lot of people or your consumers are able to outsource and get stuff overseas, right, because we're doing so much online work. Um, right. So that's something to to consider. I think, you know, uh, economic hard times are with companies that have you know larger war chests and, and plan for it can brave the tough weather. Whereas a lot of small businesses tend to be week to week, month to month, paycheck to paycheck, uh, invoice to invoice, and so. You know it doesn't take a lot to seriously disrupt a small business, and I think that goes back to the planning that I was talking about, which is so critically important. Um, and it's also I think to me, any smart entrepreneur is able to look around the corner and they spend their time thinking about where they're going, what the future holds, and how to adapt to it very, very quickly.
0: Well, um, let's talk about this uh, planning, et cetera. Um, I'm a by-the-seat type of uh, individual, yet the chairman of this company is very much of a a meticulous planning. Uh, In your experience, which is the better way of doing it? Uh,
1: You know, here's the thing. You could make the argument, I could find you – an example, a case study of all kinds of different styles and personalities that have had success. Um, What I would say is, and I get asked all the time, what's the profile of the perfect leader? What's the profile of the right executive, the right business owner, the right entrepreneur? And I think it's a ridiculous question, uh, and I'll tell you why. It's, It's more about being aware of your own personal attributes, whether it's dispositional, or it's uh, your capacity as well as your personality, I think uh, also your strengths and your weaknesses, and know what you're good at, bolster what you're good at, and find ways to fill in those weakness areas with other talents. So in a sense, what you two guys have done, right? You, you're complementary really? to each other, not... Uh, the, the same, you're not well, clones uh, of each other, which is a, a classic mistake that people make. Um, so what you know, any good leader certainly always puts together a cabinet or a advisory group of people who bring different skill sets to bear, particularly those that will shore up their own shortcomings or their own weaknesses. Um, I think... It, what I call kind of an uh, an American tragedy is we have this mentality that you can be anything and do anything. And that's just not true. I'm never going to play uh starting point guard in the NBA at five, seven, you know? Uh, so, but, but I could work in the NBA or work with the NBA or be part of the organization, just not in that capacity. So, you, you know, we have to understand where our limitations are and focus on our strength areas. And bolster those, and that's how you find success. Not in determining, uh, you know. There's just one profile, one way, and going after that. If if that makes sense.
0: you know, um, the most we have a lot of very successful entrepreneurs on this program, and presidents of companies, and the one consistent theme that all of them say is they they surround themselves with people that are complementary.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and on top. And, Don, one thing I would say, if you wanted to find a, uh, you know, I spend more time with entrepreneurs, Um, if you want to find a common theme when it comes to a personality attribute, I would say resilience. Um, In other words, not having a fear of no, um, being able to pick themselves up and not you can whine and cry about it. Just figure it out and keep going. Figure it out and keep going. And those are the kind of folks that I see who tend to have success. Uh, they don't ruminate on mistakes. They don't point the finger or blame. They just they take the blows. They figure it out and make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, so it's that resilience factor is I think a core personality trait that you can find uh, is common. But and there are sort of different ways that resilience will manifest itself. But If you want to find something sort of common as a personality factor, that would probably be it.
0: I tend to agree. If people wanted to reach you or read more about the survey, how can they do it?
1: Um, Yeah, just just search for Dr. Woody. Just go to drwoody.com. But certainly um, to check out the survey, just go to staples.com or check out uh, the Staples Facebook page where they've got a whole question posting. It's just facebook.com slash staples.
0: Well, I'm really glad you came on board uh, tonight. Uh, I look forward to having you come back again and talk about th- uh, talk more about this because you've certainly been articulate about it.
1: Don, Don, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. Well, I appreciate uh, you coming, and and, and I see come again.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Our next guest is Alex. Is, uh, Dick Axelrod. Uh he and his uh I think it's his wife Emily uh have created a book. Let's stop meeting like this. I love love the title by the way. Uh Dick, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you so much. Glad to be here.
0: Well, we're glad. Uh, um uh I I'm sorry you, you it's it is your wife uh, Emily. Great, right, it is my wife and it, she sends uh, her apologies, I,
2: but she couldn't. Some she had a doctor's thing that came up, and so.
0: Well, uh, we're lucky we have you. Uh, yeah, thank well, you. Well, we a, we always ask our guests the first question of tell them
2: a little bit about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Personally. Yeah. Well, I've um, I've been raised in Chicago. Uh, I was actually born in Oklahoma, but uh, it was only the first six months of my life. Um, and uh, I've um, I think I've I've been on a journey about work and how to improve work uh, since my very formative years. Uh, my dad manufactured model airplanes, and uh, at the time I was you know supposed to be the heir apparent to the company, and so his management training program was to put me out in the factory, and uh, and that was the last I'd see of him for the summer. You know whenever I'd be be working there, and uh, I learned so much in that experience about work and um, and leadership and, you know, I mean, there's nothing like seeing your dad's name in the graffiti in the bathroom wall to get your attention. And
0: <laughs> Well, before you go further, yeah. um, since I'm a, a model uh, airplane maker in, in my youth, what company oh, wow. do you have? Top Flight? Oh, Okay. Yeah.
2: they Also airplanes, and uh, they made propellers, and um, I don't know if you ever used monocoat as a coating. Um, yes. Uh, and, and the story behind monocoat, for the, the, the listeners who don't know, is a, it's a film that can be ironed on a model airplane, and it replaced tissue and paint and what was called dope, oh. which, used, which used to smell up the house. And my dad got so sick and tired of Hearing my mother complain about these smells, that he ended up inventing monocoat because you could one you could just iron it on, and there was no 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 smell, no mess, no fuss. He did he did ruin a lot of her irons in um, in creating it though, cause, to find the right temperature, the one that would work with the material. But so you know, so I, I worked there, and I, what I found, you know, I'd hear my dad kind of over the the dinner table kind of musing about, well, you know, how do we motivate people? How do we get them to give more and stuff like that? And, uh, you know, I'd be in on the factory floor and he, hearing people with lots of good ideas that somehow weren't getting heard, okay? And so that, I think that's the, if I can trace the genesis of my work today, that's how I got there. And then, uh, you know, was in the Army and learned a lot about leadership there. And then, um In my early uh, days after that, I worked in the Bell system and was fortunate enough to uh, be in a management development program that was picked as a pilot study in team development. And, uh, you know, we took a unit that was kind of so-so and became first or second in every measurable category. And So I learned a a lot there because we didn't add any new training programs, but one of the things I was proudest about was that we went a whole year uh, having 85 trucks on the street every day in Chicago uh, without an accident. And the only thing that changed was the relationship between the supervisor and their cu- crew. So at that time, I was getting my uh, MBA at night, so I decided to study organizational behavior. Um was able to get some training uh, both at uh, within the Bell System and then later at General Foods and in 1981, left and formed my own company. And a couple of years later, Emily, who, by way of training, is a, uh educator and family th- therapist, uh, we decided that uh, we could really make a go of this. So that's how we got to where we are. And you've been
0: doing it for a long time.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I, I, I have to just tell you one thing. I work for the Bell System, too.
2: Oh, okay. And and I have
0: to tell you, it was the toughest year of my life. Um, I I know why. I
2: know why. (laughs) Uh,
0: But the the interesting thing was, uh, I worked in the PR department, and they wanted to put out, uh, if you remember the Hawthorne experiments, sure. um, Well, they wanted to put out a, they went back to Hawthorne and uh, went to a bench where they had taken a picture in, I think, 1929 or 28 and there was a woman still doing the same job 40 oh, years my God. later oh, my
2: and they God.
0: wanted to put out and they wanted to put out a press release about it they were proud oh, of Oh, no
2: no <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, well. <laughs> And, you know the hawthorne works are in chicago or we're outside right outside of chicago and
0: right yeah. and well, the, the results no matter uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I remember correctly, uh, all they f- finally f- figured out from all of the, their experiments was as long as you paid attention to the workers, they worked better.
2: Yeah, and it's such a simple lesson, okay? Um, because I think today, you know, we're, oh, there's all this stuff about employee engagement and how do you engage employees. And, you know, you could, you could buy any kind of sophisticated program you want, but it all boils down to uh finding out what people care about, paying attention to them and knowing that their boss cares about them. I mean, it's as simple as that. And it goes it goes back to that study over and over again. Um uh, well,
0: well, let's let's talk about your book. Let's start yeah, meeting yeah. uh like this. Um, in America today, well In America, when I was in corporate America, Mm -hmm. uh, and and surprisingly still today, meetings seem to be the predominant thing people do in large Mm -hmm. corporations. Mm -hmm. And so with that as a lead-in, the the floor is yours.
2: Dick? There's actually about 11 million meetings a day in the U.S., um, and you know, it, each so there's, day. There, there's, there's yes, a day, okay. Um, and uh, I saw that in a, a Harvard study, I think it was. And so the issue is, our organizations are are increasingly complex, you know, and the amount of coordination needed to make them work requires us to meet, okay. Um, but then, when we meet, um, it's often a, not a good experience. So, instead of the meeting helping us to be more productive, they in fact becomes less productive um and then the other thing that that's starting to happen is because organizations are are leaner today than maybe they were you know fifteen twenty years ago um when a person's in a meeting they they're often caught between, well, I got to get my work done um." But then there's the work of the meeting, and so how do you know they feel that tension, and so you know the price for attending this meeting is one the time, but then all the emails and phone calls and stuff that's piling up while they're they're in the meeting so it it really makes sense for us to pay attention to meetings and to make sure that they're uh what we would call valuable work experiences
0: okay, so uh tell us how to do it.
2: Okay. Well, the first thing, yeah, I think, is um, you have to begin to think about meetings as work, and most people don't think about that. The uh, way I like to think about it is that um, meetings are the factory floor for knowledge workers, that um, this is where they have to get their work done. So if you begin to think about a meeting as a as work, and apply what we know are good work design principles to your meeting uh and those principles are: does the meeting have a purpose okay, and is that purpose meaningful to people uh is there a challenge present in the meeting? Uh, will people learn something as a result of being there? Um, do they have a sense of autonomy uh, sense of control over the over the meeting and um uh, is there a way that People can measure their progress, what we call feedback during the meeting. When those things are present in a meeting, then uh, the the meeting becomes a more uh, useful experience for people. And these are the same work design principles that transform the factory floor. And interestingly enough, they're also the same principles that make video games engaging. We learned that uh, when we were giving a, a talk and in the, in the audience was the CEO of a video game uh, manufacturing com- company. And the uh, CEO came up to us after the presentation. He said, you know, those things you're talking about, meaning, challenge, autonomy, learning, feedback, are what we build into video games. And so you know, the lights kind of went on for us and said, okay, now you've got to build these things into meetings so that it's a useful experience for people.
0: Well, that's pretty difficult to do. So how do you do it?
2: Uh, when the difficulty making it a useful experience for people, or
0: well, you you just outlined what what should be in a meeting,
1: but right, how right. do you, so,
0: And and, and um, I I know it's in your book, but can you summarize um, some of the things that you should do uh, in well, planning okay, a meeting?
2: It. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing, a lot of frustration a lot of leaders have, is they ask for agenda items and no one says anything. So you, one thing is to involve the, at least the participants or a microcosm of the participants in the planning of the meeting, so that it becomes their meeting, not not just your meeting. So that's that's one thing you can do. Um, you need you want to make the meeting a learning experience. So. Maybe there's some pre-work that people can do, or maybe there's a way in which people can share their knowledge uh, and teach each other about the business during the meeting as you're trying to work out and figure out uh, problems. Uh, The other thing you can do is um, have a sense of, uh, as a leader, what I think really is, is important is for the leader to be very clear about what we call the decision rules. Uh, if there's nothing that uh, makes people angry about a, a meeting, uh, is the feeling that somehow um, I thought I was in a process where you were asking for my opinion and my, in- my opinion would count for something, and to find out at the end that it's only the leader's voice that counts. So, I mean, th- those are some of the things that um, be- begin to help. Um, you need to think about the meeting as a... Uh, in the book, we talk about something called the meeting canoe. So we'd like to think about a meeting as a conversation, and the first part of that conversation, people need to feel comfortable and welcome. So how can you make people feel comfortable in the meeting? Uh, I think one really great way is to make sure that you have a, that the participants have a sense that you did some preparation. It's like when you invite somebody to your home. Um, and for a dinner or something like that, and you walk in and you, you realize that a lot of care was uh, taken so that you could have a good time. Well, there's a lot of care taken so that this meeting could be productive. Um, the next step is to feel connected to both the people in the room and to the topic. And so, um, you know, sometimes it can be just a short uh, conversation uh, asking people, uh, what do you need to do or say so you can be present in this meeting? And then you need to uh, begin to think about how can we learn together or discover what the way things are. So that's an understanding of current state. And then what are our dreams or hopes of, for the future? And so you know, at this point you've got the widest possibilities, the most possibilities for change. And then um, at some point you're going to have to make a, make some decisions about direction. And in the direction uh, you both close down some options, but you open up others and then the close of the meeting is what we call attend to the end so that you review the decisions made you identify the next step and you ask people was this time well spent or how can we make our next meeting more effective so we found that we found that that flow uh really is important and when we in our work with other organizations we find that most leaders rush the beginning, and they cut off the end. And uh, One time we were working with some architects, and uh, I was complaining about the meeting room and, that we were in, and the, the architect said to me, well, how people enter a space and how they leave a space is as important as what happens in the space. And that always stayed with me thinking about meetings. So how you start and how you end is as important as what happens when you're in the heart of it when you're trying to make the decisions. So, those are just, I mean, there's a bunch of things I've just given, but there are some ways in which people can begin to shift their meeting experience.
0: Well, well uh, to me, the worst meetings are when you go in knowing no, no matter what you say, uh, the, the guy with the highest title or the woman with the highest title is
2: going to decide. Right. Um, uh, how do you avoid that? Well, that's the work, I think that's the work of the leader. Okay, I mean the leader. If they're just bringing you in there to hear themselves talk, they're wasting your time and their time, and so you know often participants feel uh, well ha- kind of helpless about that. Uh, now, most leaders that I know don't want to have a bad meeting. Okay, and so if if you're the person, or maybe uh, that has the trust of the leader, or maybe there's someone else in the group who has the trust of the leader. Maybe you can begin to talk about um, how we can make this meeting more effective. How we can we, we make it better? Um, but if there's, you know, but there's an interesting paradox to what we what you're saying that we found too is that um, people would rather have the transparency of a dictatorship than the, the illusion of democracy, because at least then they know what they're dealing with, okay? and when it we found that the false democracy is actually worse than uh, the situation where you know your voice doesn't count. Because in that situation, um, you're putting a lot of effort thinking that you're going to make a difference when, in fact, you don't.
0: You know, know, uh, uh, that's probably one of the most profound things I've heard in a long time on this program, um, uh, uh, I've dealt with small business leaders and large corporate leaders, who will tell you, "Well, I'm open to uh, all suggestions and all ideas, and you can tell me what mm-hmm. uh, what's wrong." And then when you tell them, they say you're wrong. Right, uh, right. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and when
2: when we're co- when we're coaching leaders before a meeting, you know, th- those guys are the ones who scare me the most, because then I'll say, "Well." What if people want to suggest this? Well, oh, no, 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 we can't go there. Well, what if people want to suggest that? No, 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 we we can't go there. Okay? So part of the pre-work is to figure out what your boundaries are. You know, are you just, you know, are you willing to listen to ideas and you're going to keep the decision yourself? Are you willing to um, have a discussion with the group and, you know, everybody's vote's the same? Are you going to delegate this to the group? And are you willing to live with the answer that comes up? Uh, And if you're not clear about those things ahead of time, um, I don't care how good your agenda is and how efficient your meeting is, you're in deep trouble.
0: Mm. Well, Dick, let's go a little bit beyond. You're so interesting. I'd like to keep you on longer if you have time. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well, you know, let's go beyond the meeting. You've obviously yeah. uh, looked at organizations. Our audiences um, uh, in our surveys are about uh, almost sixty percent owners and/or presidents of uh, smaller mm-hmm. companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your experience, what have you found have been some of the, the positive things that make a good uh, leader, and some of the, uh, the negatives that make uh, a good leader? Yeah,
2: I'm going to. I'll talk about the positives. Um. And kind of my hero in this is actually our publisher, uh Steve Versanti at because he actually tries to implement the books he publishes, okay <laughs> so as a result of our book, they began to look at look at their meetings, but Steve is ethical, he's transparent, he's honest um, and people trust what he has to say okay uh and if you don't have those things going for you um you lose the credibility with with the organization, so you know the ability to be honest, the ability to build trust to trust your people okay um and i you know I was listening in on the earlier part of the show, so you know if you've hired good people and you've surrounded yourself with good people, uh, don't take autonomy away from them, trust that they have the interest of the company at heart and that they're going to do the right thing, and and when they don't, then as a leader, you know what to do. Okay, but um, so that, that, that those are the characteristics of the really good leaders. Okay, and it's not um, one of the uh, another person I worked with. Um, you know, it's not a matter of a loud voice. Uh, Hank Queen, at, who was a VP of engineering at Boeing, is probably one of the most soft-spoken people I've ever met. I mean, even with a microphone, sometimes you couldn't hear him. But people in that organization. Would go through walls for him because he was trustworthy, and uh as part of a change process we were doing there at one point, Hank told the group he said, "Don't bother to even bring this issue up because I'm not going to be able to get my peers to go along with it. Okay? Let me fight that battle, and when we're ready, I'll come back to you, but I want you to work on things that you can do and you can be successful with and if, you know that kind of honesty uh really build credibility um you know the and the, and you know on the, the worst leaders um you know the ones where people know that they're only in it for themselves uh to get their next promotion um that they don't they they go through the motions about uh caring with people i remember one one client we had and we were working on um creating a team based organization and the people were telling us don't trust this guy Okay, he doesn't walk the talk, and uh, it's a big lesson for us as consultants because uh, we were getting all this data, but in all our experiences with him, he was like picture perfect. And what people were saying is, you know, when it gets tough, it's going to run. He's going to run, and sure enough, when we had a a crisis, he walked away from everything. So that I think one of the things in organizations, um, people often. Are afraid of is, okay. I'm going to get my hopes up with whatever the new latest change is going to be, uh, but then nothing's going to happen. And we came in after another change process uh, one time, and we were starting up a new one. And I remember this one participant said, "Don't break my heart again," you know, because she she felt like she 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 had put a lot into the change process and nothing happened, and didn't want to go through that again. She'd rather, you know, be like that operator at the Hawthorne Works. Right. Yes. Uh, well, but, uh,
0: but
2: yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Well, well change is, is is always difficult for people, and mm-hmm. but and we I think we've seen over the last ten years major changes in, in, in large corporations, and mm-hmm. uh, um, but it seems. Uh, some people can adjust the change, and others can never
2: really get there. Mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. do you deal with that? Um, you mean, as, as as a leader, how do you deal with that—the fact that the well, yeah. some people how, will how change you, and some can't?
0: Yeah. How do you, as a consultant, help the uh, leader uh, understand and uh, and identify those who won't change?
2: Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know the organization the way it is now uh has people because they work well within that culture um uh, and so changing to a new culture means that it's not going to be a good fit for people uh and sometimes that's hard to identify ahead of time um but then, knowing that uh well, we'll talk to leaders about it and say,' no, let's see what's the fair thing to do, okay? What's the fair way to treat folks like that, okay? Because they've been, you know, maybe loyal workers for 15 or 20 years, all right? And now the world's changed. Uh, Remember one time we worked with a um, company that makes uh, RVs, and they were wanting to be, these were very high-end RVs too, where people, you know, half a million dollars, something like that. And uh, the owner would come to the factory and get driving lessons about, um, you know, their new motor home and how to, how to work with it. And I remember this one factory worker saying, well, you know, I didn't come here to talk to people. I came here to hang sheet metal. And I can't deal with this, okay? Uh, so, you know, they what they, in this uh, situation, they were able to find a job for this person uh, where they didn't, he didn't have to interact with people because they felt like he was a, a good worker and, and, and that he deserves a place, a good something. Other times, um, what's re- the the new requirements are just not a good fit for people, and you have to help them either leave the company or find a job in another place. But you have to think, I guess the, the, the big thing is for the leadership to think that through ahead of time, always asking themselves, okay, what's the fair thing to do? Uh, is our process for doing this going to be fair, and is, are the outcomes going to be fair? Because I, I don't know near. the test that, that's going to tell you ahead of time.
0: No, it's looking at it. I sit on the board of a company that's uh, go, going through that right now, and uh, uh, the employees have been incredibly loyal through a, through a down cycle,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: now uh, new new money's coming in, and new management and the the board is really torn because uh, we know that not everybody's going to survive yet these people have made incredible sacrifices to keep the business going yeah and
2: we just yeah. do not we
0: just, we just do not know how to handle it yeah uh, I, I just keep and,
2: asking myself what's the fair thing to do which is a tough question because fair fairness is um uh, it's contextual and so what's fair in one organization may not be fair in another. Um I'll tell you a quick story about our publisher 'cause, you know, uh several years ago publishing was really in the tanks. And mm-hmm. they uh at Kohler, they had a policy and, I, and and actually one of the interesting things about Barricoler is they have an author's representative on their board, so I was on the board. And um uh, the author representative. And what Steve Persani, who's the, the owner CEO uh did in New York? he's always done this it's it shared the financials with people and um they had a, a meeting with the, everybody in the company and they looked at the financials and what they decided to do was that everybody in the company would take a ten percent pay cut except the lowest level employees okay um and then what so that was fairness in that context with that organization um and those of us on the board were holding our breath about whether that was going to really work. Um, but, you know, it, it's a story with a happy ending because, um, you know, what people really then buckled down and did was find ways to save money, to save the company money. Um, now, uh, Bear Kohler is one of the healthiest independent publishers uh, in the U.S. All the pay cuts have been restored and bonuses. In fact, they just moved to new offices. Um uh, But
0: you know, no, go ahead. You're you're doing great.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just you know, and and it's it's similar to what I talked about earlier that uh, Steve trusted his people to make the right decision. Okay, now you can't take that decision and put it someplace else in another company because it might not be seen as fair within the context of that company. But the the notion that they were able to look at and say, okay, what's fair. To us as individuals, what's fair to us as an organization, and how do we work together to make it work? Um, those are the tough conversations that often aren't held, and it's um, often much easier to, um, you know, lay a bunch of people off, or um, you know, cut salaries, or you know, do those things without without the tough conversations.
0: Well well you know ironically that's exactly what we did at this uh, company that uh, the, all these people took uh, cuts sometimes significant cuts to, mm-hmm. in order to um help the company survive and Yeah. Uh, I, um you know and now the only way we can survive is to bring in new money and new management
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. and,
0: uh, and uh, the board is wrestling. How do we be? And you use the right word, fair, to these employees,
2: right? right. And
0: and it's, and it, it's really. A, go ahead.
2: Yeah, well, and also I would say, and how can we be as transparent as we possibly can be, so that everybody understands what's going on, and and you know, and and uh, I think that becomes important too.
0: Well, that, we're, we're in in a. Go ahead. I'm sorry to keep interrupting you.
1: No, you first. Uh, I I
2: was thinking of a, there was an article, maybe it was 10 years ago, about how to be listed in, um, you know, I think it's Fortune's best companies to work work for and still lay off 5,000 people. And it was the story of of HP and how they continued to be transparent uh, through their financial problems and then because they had been continually transparent and it was a similar situation i think to what you're talking about you know uh people made sacrifices they cut you know cut and cut and cut and in the end people saw that there was, there was no other way that this company could be saved and so they they didn't like it okay but they thought that there had been fair and equitable treatment and the leadership was making the only decisions they could make
0: well we're talk- employees at HP I, I i have a fairly strong relationship with them uh are incredibly loyal to that company mhm um i worked for McGraw Hill um oh, okay. 20 years ago and you know there was another company that uh, you you know the we were in Italy uh and i went to see um one of our reps and he pulled out from his drawer his uh, Certificate of Appreciation from McGraw-Hill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah,
2: that, yeah. That's,
0: how, that's how it was then. Uh, it's a different company today, but um, it's the same type of thing. Um,
2: yeah.
0: Just, you know yeah, McGraw-Hill.
2: Of, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a sense of camaraderie and friendship and loyalty and...
0: Uh, as I look back on it, uh, I have maintained more friendships from that uh, period than any other business uh, that I've, yeah. I've been in.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, uh, is it, uh, well, let, let me ask you a question in general. Uh, do you think it's still possible to have companies like that in today's world?
2: I, I'm not sure. Okay, I think you can have them. Okay, and I think what a lot of big companies are struggling with is how do you get the intimacy and the bonds that are built in small companies? Okay, where the leaders know everybody and um, that sense of uh, purpose and intimacy in these big multinational corporations. And I, I don't think. Uh, uh, People have that answer yet, okay? Um, But I think people people know it's important, okay, and and long for that, okay. Um, And you know, as as you get bigger and bigger, and the organization becomes less intimate and less human, then it becomes very very difficult. but then there are, you know, there are also big companies that people feel pretty good about.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, l- let me ask you a different question. Uh, you're so knowledgeable. I hope. But no, thank uh, you. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, before you could pick up the phone and talk to people, in today's okay. world it's almost impossible to talk to people. Everything is email. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think that oh. has an effect on, on it?
2: And the dehumanization of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you're probably. Yeah. Um, I mean. I mean. Sometimes during the day, I'll think, "Gee, the phone didn't ring all day. Did I? You know, are we still in business or something? You know." And then I realize all <laughs> yeah, the yeah. emails that I went through. And i was like, "Okay." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's a blessing and a curse because, in some ways, email is very efficient. Okay. Um, but then you know you 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 got it. Yeah, if you've what we found, and I think a lot of the re, the research supports too, is that if you have a relationship with someone, then the emails go better. Okay, uh, if you, you haven't had any kind of personal relationship, whether it's the the phone or uh, you know in person, in person is the best. But you know if you've got the relationship, then the technology. Supports that you have work a lot better. Uh, If you don't have the relationship, then you know things can get misread in email and uh, all those kinds of things. We were—it's a little tangential, but I want to tell the story because we, my wife and I, just got back from Turkey where we were working with some some clients. And the thing I noticed in Turkey, which I hadn't seen before, are these poles that allow you to take selfies. I don't know if you've seen that. You can put your iPhone on a pole and then hold it out, and then you can take a picture of yourself. Uh, and what we realized is it's a way in which people don't have to interact with each other. And it was driven home to us uh, by an experience we had because we were um, standing at one of the historic sites in Turkey, and this Australian couple came up to us and they said, um, would you t- take our picture? And yeah, you know, we said sure and they would would they take our picture and you know. And we had, you know, maybe a fifteen, twenty minute kind of, you know, conversation and about Turkey and the sites and all that. Um but if uh Emily and I had, had one of those polls and stamped our own picture, uh, we would have never been able to have that kind of conversation or um something uh a number of years ago, uh, before all the kiosks and stuff like that with with the rental cars, um I was doing some work in Detroit uh with a colleague from New York and we got to be so friendly we uh with the rental car people um because we were there so much uh they would say well Jim's going to be late or Dick's going to be late and you know they kind of knew us and I think that's kind of missing from our from our world today
0: you know uh, Oh I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I have for uh, many many years. I live uh, whenever I'm in New York or in a tourist place, you'll see a, uh, the man taking a picture of the woman and the woman taking a picture of the man. And I'll go up and say, Would you? Uh, why don't you t- uh, get together and I'll take your picture? Yeah, yeah, And, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and he, you know, the, the look on their face is is worth it. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, uh, but it's it's the human touch that I really miss. As a, yeah, I've been a yeah. reporter. Um, all, I've been a reporter most of my life, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, John O'Harris said, "Reporters get to see people at the depths of their lives and at the heights of their lives." Uh, ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And anyway,
1: uh.
0: It, the the hour has flown by and you're a terrific guest and I do hope you'll come back and bring your wife with you and we'll have another session, I hope.
2: Hey, we'd be glad to do it. We really enjoyed uh, the program and uh, interacting with you.
0: Well, the name of your book again?
2: The name of the book is Let's Stop Meeting Like This, Tools to Save Time and Get More Done. And, okay, uh, and uh, Amazon, I assume? Amazon, uh and you can also visit our website, where we've got other resources and material, and that's uh, www.axelrodgroup.com.
0: Spell it out. This is radio. A X
2: E L R O D G R O U P dot com.
0: Uh, Dick, really, really glad you came. I hope our audience learned. I know I certainly did. Come again.
2: Yeah, I sure certainly will. Thanks so much.
0: Have a a, a good rest of of the week. You
2: too. All the best. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you. And have a good day. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because...